With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to week 11 of the Conference USA football season Underdog Podcast. Here with you, Joe Londrigan and Eric Henry. Uh, Eric, crazy to believe we're in week 11 already. I know it feels like I say that every week, but uh, that's just because I'm, I'm dreading the inevitable dead period where we don't, have, uh, we don't have football to talk about. And I'm dreading even more the period of... Uh, when we don't have basketball or uh, college baseball to talk about either, because then it's just, you know, this, I, I don't want to go back to the summer is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I am completely there with you. You know, you're not the only one who thought the season went by pretty fast. I was thinking that it has gone by pretty fast. I mean, last week was the final home game at the cage, and it felt like I you know just hopped on the plane to go to New Orleans to start the year. So this season's really flown by. <laughs> it really flew by while you were uh, flying all over the country. It feels like you traveled more this year uh, for to cover FIU. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's accurate. You know, the only road game I made it to last year. Yeah, yeah, that's rack my brain for a second. The only road game I made it to last year was Charlotte. Um, made it to everyone this year outside of Louisiana Tech. Did not make the trip to Ruston. So yeah, uh, that certainly has you know. Um, expedited the year a little bit you know when you're on uh, planes trains and automobiles for sure i need to make that part of my uh part of my strategy next year because i just sat in my little cave and watched football all year which <laughs> is not not the worst setup considering uh you know considering i got a comfy chair and all that but uh definitely need to get out and see the world a little bit more um without further ado then before we uh bore people to death let, let's talk about week 11 because there were a few games that i really want to uh, dissect a little bit but uh first let's talk about texas a&m putting a 45 to 14 whooping on utsa isaiah spiller really ran amok with 217 rushing yards and three touchdowns on uh just 20 touches really so uh super productive and efficient day for him on the aggie side uh, for UTSA, highlight for them was probably uh, Dadrian Taylor's uh, 58-yard pick six. Um, really not too far from what we expected as far as the result of this game goes, but um, still always kind of tough for, uh, for any team's fan base when you lose like this. Yeah, you know, not too much that I'm going to get into as far as this game is concerned because it's what we expected. I think my major takeaway, and once again, it's kind of hard to – grade UTSA's offense based on the fact they're playing in Texas A&M down there in College Station. But if you are a Roadrunner fan, I'm just wondering how you're feeling considering it's, you know, going on two seasons of just offensive ineptitude, particularly from the quarterback position. And yes, we all know that, you know, Frank Harris was supposed to be the guy two years in a row he's injured. But just, Joe, how many times have we looked at stat lines like this? I'm looking at, you know, the uh, total passing here for Lowell Narcisse and JoJo Weeks. Uh, 11 of 25 for a buck 38. 
no touchdowns, one interception. That seems to have been the case no matter who the competition has been. So if you're a Roadrunner fan, you know, that has to be frustrating. But that aside, um, not too much of a shock here. No, not at all. I guess if you're a uh, fan base and you're going to see your team lose in that fashion, it might as well be uh, a team that's geographically close, which was the case here. Um, but uh, furthermore, let's let's talk about uh, the game you were at this weekend, I believe, Eric Henry. Uh, FIU beating Old Dominion 24-17. to 17. Uh, This probably should have been a, a bigger margin of victory for FIU. Uh, but all in all, I feel like they did a pretty decent job of controlling the ball, which is always uh, something good when you're in a close game. Um, for uh, Old Dominion, lost fumble and a few missed field goals from uh, Jose Borregales. A uh, few missed opportunities for the Panthers, but um, all in all, a pretty good day for them against uh, a continually bad ODU, t- ODU team. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Joe. You mentioned a lost fumble, and I'm not picking on you because you would have no way of knowing this if you weren't at the game. Even the ESPN stat sheet rules it as a lost fumble for James Morgan. Uh, my friend, have you ever heard of a wild snap? <laughs> yes, I'm assuming that's, oh, you know, uh, you that's what this was. Yeah, I know. Okay, no, I, I had no idea you'd heard of the, the actual stat. So we were there in the press box. And uh, it was Derek Wilder who sacked James Morgan. James was, you know, dropping back a throw, hit his arm, you know, a strip sack, you know, you write it down, boom, you know, on to the next play. And then we checked the stat broadcast and it was not ruled as a fumble. So I went to the uh, FIU uh, communications department and they told us that it was ruled a wild snap. So uh, that was just interesting. I just had to, you know, point that out once again, not that you would know that it's just interesting because I had never heard of that at all. And I, I, didn't know, didn't look like the snap was that off anyhow. <laughs> uh, I guess it's better for James' stat line. Um, as to, you know, the rest of the game on the field, you got to credit ODU's defense. When Believe it or not, they've actually performed pretty well this year, uh, especially given the circumstances. And you look at their overall standings in Conference USA, they're like a top five defense, you know, overall. So you got to give them credit. Unfortunately, offensively has been the issue. Uh, Hayden Wolf, the true freshman from not too far from this area, about two hours away in Venice, got his first start. And he had some moments where he looked like a deer in headlights, but he also he also had some moments where he he showed some promise and stood in there and he competed. And I can see why Bobby Wilder, ODU head coach, made the statement that he did post game, uh, which is Hayden Wolf is going to be the guy going forward. Um, when Ed Miller from the Virginia uh, Virginia Pilot, I hope I, I do, I think I have his publication correct, um, asked about his job status, he said. I expect to be here in 2020, and Hayden Wolf is going to be a huge part of that. So if you're an ODU fan, uh, look for Hayden Wolf because he apparently is going to be the guy. Um, and once again, on the FIU side, you know, pretty pedestrian Jay for James Morgan, 20 of 33 for 252. Really protected the ball. He was really pressured a lot. Keon Davis was in the backfield a, uh, a significant amount of the time. Uh, players, again, were really for Shamar Thornton and Napoleon Maxwell for FIU, uh, as well as guys like uh, Tier Tart, who had a big game. Uh, being in the ODU defensive backfield. And postgame, we got an emotional Butch Davis, which, you know, uh, I, for those of you who don't know, you kind of get that old, hardened, you know, Oklahoma veteran coach vibe from Butch Davis, but he can be rather uh, emotional at times. Just talking about the seniors and, and how much they've bought in and helped change that program. So Butch kind of said, you know, hey, guys, believe it or not, you know, I can be a weepy guy, and uh, it's really emotional to, you know, kind of send these guys off. And he really ended his press conference after that. So uh, really interesting to see that side of Butch. But, all in all, the Panthers get the win, and they're a one win away from bowl eligibility. 
Yeah, certainly strange to think about Butch Davis in that context, but understandable considering the metamorphosis that program has gone through as a whole since he arrived. So uh, certainly got to be happy for those seniors uh, ending their uh, their home career with a victory. Um, on the Old Dominion side, it's interesting that um, – a, the, the comment made regarding Bobby Wilder's job security, but, you know, I guess, what do you expect him to say? No, I'm probably going to get fired. Um, but, I don't know. Uh, but it's interesting that they're making that commitment to this young quarterback right now. Um, and you got to wonder how happy he is with that, considering, um, you know, just the beating these quarterbacks have taken for Old Dominion uh, with, you know, some regularity this season. Yeah, yeah, it's great that you mentioned that, or, you know, really significant that you mentioned that, because Hayden Wolf was under pressure a lot. Um, the times that he did, you know, have time to make plays, he, once again, you know, you could tell there was a little bit of trepidation on his part. He didn't necessarily want to make the mistake, especially the fact that this was a close game, so he didn't necessarily want to give the game away for his team, but he was under pressure most of the afternoon. Um, but, yeah, like I said, all things considered, he had some moments where he was a deer in headlights, but also had some moments where he looked like he belonged. And, you know, he's a, he's a very slight guy, Joe. So I think an off season and a, and a college program, you know, in the weight room, will we'll do him, uh, do his body well. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he appears to be the future. Now, whether Bobby Wilder would be a part of that future, time will tell. Yeah. And uh, like you mentioned, we'll see how he develops now that um, his coach seems to have that level of confidence in him. Um, I had a decent amount of confidence that MTSU was going to get the victory this weekend. That was not the case. So once again, paying for my hubris in the uh, choosing CUSA picks, but uh, the 49ers get that victory against the Blue Raiders 34 to 20. Good bounce back for them here as uh, they score 34 straight points to uh, to get this win. Um, and MTSU uh, tried to mount a little bit of a comeback, but didn't really go their way. Um, Aaron McAllister and Chris Reynolds both get over 100 yards rushing for the 49ers. So uh, continuing to show um, how multifaceted that offense can really be. Yeah, I mean, you know, the big takeaway if you're a Charlotte fan or even if you're a Conference USA fan in general has to be the fact that they did this without, you know, all-conference running back Benny LeMay. Uh, Aaron McAllister has looked good this year in the time that he's gotten, as well as I shot finger, also got 14 carries. But Chris Reynolds, you know, I wrote about him in my three things he learned about Conference USA in Week 10. He's a guy who, once again, you know, he's just not going to wow you with his size. He's, he's a legit 5'9", 5'10", 185 pounds. But he's just – he's gutsy and he has the intangibles and – He's a lot like, you know, Asher O'Hara, who was the, his, his quarterback counterpart, but Chris may be a little bit more developed as a passer than Asher. Um, but, yeah, just you just have to like his play. I mean, he's a guy who, you know, he – I don't think I'm disrespecting him by say this, uh, saying this. He's not going to be the James Morgan, Chris Robinson, Mason Fine. You know, he's never going to be a top three, four quarterback in this league. But he's a guy who you could do a lot worse. I'm sure if you talk to, you know, the UTEPs, the UTSAs of the world, they take Chris Reynolds ten times over. So you just love the fact that he always gives your team a chance to win. For the middle side, the offense just really, you know, like you mentioned, 20 straight points, or, or excuse me, they, they got out to a 20-0 lead and then uh, couldn't put up anything after that. You know, the offense was Asher O'Hara, 9-17 uh, for a buck 18 passing, uh, 148 on the ground as a runner. So, you know, everything runs through Asher O'Hara. And if you've ever watched a Middle Tennessee State game, it just reminds you of the Brent Stockfield days. Unfortunately, they don't necessarily have as many playmakers on the outside. You know, the uh, Richie James of the world aren't there. And then defensively, uh, they're still a work in progress. You know, when you lose a guy like Reed Blankenship, uh, you're prone to give up 34 straight points. And that's what happens to them. 
Yeah, we've talked about it a little bit before, but uh, that Blue Raider team is a one-man show at the moment with with Asher O'Hara. So uh, hopefully he gets a little help if the Blue Raiders want to get a couple more victories before the year ends. Um, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Then we'll uh, we'll talk about a game that I don't want to talk about, and that's Western Kentucky losing to Florida Atlantic, thirty-five to twenty-four in BG. Uh, four turnovers by WKU, so obviously a disappointing day for that offense. Um, for the Owls, you got to give them credit for holding D'Angelo Malone in check. Um, overall, just a really bad second half by the Tops uh, in a game where they they got out to a fourteen zero lead and and looked like um, you know they were going to uphold the reputation that they built for themselves this year, but really didn't go their way. Yeah, Joe, I raced from the FIU press box, uh, you know, press room up I ninety five to Boca Raton to watch this one with a couple friends over there at an FAU bar, and yeah. I walked in at halftime, and uh, yeah, it was. I mean, just give credit to FAU's defense. Anyone who listens to this podcast know I'm a huge fan of teams finding ways to win in ways that you don't traditionally think of them. You know, usually for FAU, it's the high-powered offense, right? But the defense came through. Glenn Spencer's unit forces four tie-story turnovers. And I think the big, for me, you know, the crucial one, Joe, and, and, and uh, I don't know if you happen to see this, but the crucial one was right after uh, Western had forced a turnover, you know, uh, Tyson Helton dialed up, you know, a, a, a play where you want to go downfield, and Ty Story went for everything. And that ball, I mean, the second it left his hand, I just yelled out pick because it just fluttered out of his hand. It was the, I believe it was the uh, last pick of the game, it was the Zion Gilbert interception that just from the moment he released the ball, it just looked like it was going nowhere. Um, but yeah, once again, give credit to FAU. Um, uh, and I'm forgetting the kid's name, his first name right now, uh, Trey Mason's younger brother, Chauncey Mason. There we go. Chauncey Mason comes in, you know, he was a guy who was sixth or seventh on the depth chart for FAU, you know, but comes in on um, late, uh, when Larry McCammon left with injury, 11 carries for 60 yards. So FAU, you know, they're right there. It's a two team race. And, uh, hopefully you guys watching the game do not have the same issues we did because, um, there was a slight outage an ESPN plus outage, uh, right as the game was coming down as the FAU was scoring, uh, their final touchdown, there was an ESPN Plus outage. So hopefully all you guys didn't have that issue, but I believe you did because it was talked about pretty uh, pretty frequently all over Twitter. Yeah, that, uh, that'll happen sometimes with, uh, you know, with ESPN Plus, unfortunately. So hopefully we, uh, we get uh, less of that in the future, and hopefully Western Kentucky gets uh, a little bit more uh, offensive gas so to speak as the uh, year starts to wind down and um if you're a tailtopper fan by the way you are definitely rooting against uh marshall and fau for the rest of the year if you uh weren't clear on that if you want them to have a shot at the conference title which they still very much do honestly um with that then speaking of marshall we'll talk about how they beat rice 20 to 7 on the road this week uh, another big performance by Isaiah Green, as well as Brendan Knox. So that backfield really uh, doing wonders for them as the year pushes on. And uh, Herder now bowl eligible as they get their sixth win here. Uh, Rice, you know, what else can you say that we haven't said about them a million times already? As uh, that offense really needs uh, needs some more go, and it's just uh, it's just disappointing at this uh, at this stage. 
another game for Rice in which the final score isn't, you know, some massive 52 to 10 blowout. You know, it clearly just had, like you mentioned, a little more firepower. They we can't say they get the W, but maybe they, you know, maybe they do get the W. You never know. I mean, we saw the, the turn to Giovanni Johnson, the freshman quarterback from Conway, Arkansas. And, um, you know, not to say that he necessarily is going to be the playmaker, but 10 of 17, 97 yards, pedestrian numbers. He threw a touchdown. Uh, also added 66 yards on the – or 65 yards on the ground, excuse me. So maybe his uh, dual threat dynamic is something that could help Mike Blumkin's team. But that aside, you know, Marshall gets the win. The, the major takeaway for me as far as Marshall is Isaiah Green's play because this is what you want from him. You know, I, I think at this point – I don't know how you feel about this, Joe – if you're a Marshall fan, I think you just have to you have to ignore the boom or bust potential of Isaiah Green, and you have to kind of shoot for the I'm going to protect the ball and not lose the game Isaiah Green. 17 of 22 for 269, one touchdown, no interceptions. And, uh, yeah, I mean, really quick, Joe, just before I, I continue, I mean, I, I think we – you kind of see a higher ceiling than those numbers for Isaiah Green, but – if you're a Marshall fan, you probably have to just be content with him being, I don't want to say pedestrian, but a game manager, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think that's fair to say. And I think just uh, with young quarterbacks in general, Isaiah Green, I believe he's just a sophomore still. Um, but I think with younger quarterbacks, um, they have this potential to think, you know, you have to be all world. Uh, savior of your team and all that. But really, I think when you have a guy who's been as dependable as Brendan Knox has been, um, sometimes you just have to do what you said and protect the ball and um, try to limit the mistakes as in, um, instead of going for the big play every time. Because, you know, if they continue to play the way that they've played the last couple of weeks, and that is generally mistake-free, uh, pound the ball when they can and, and limit the turnovers, then they're going to get good results. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, it's kind of uh, really great points that you make as the ones that I'm kind of making as far as Isaiah Green just is, you know, you, you touch on it. Just you don't have to go out there and be all world Tom Brady, you know, Peyton Manning circa 2008. Just go out there and let your playmakers play. When you have a guy like Brendan Knox in the backfield, you know, feed him 30 times, you know, get the ball in your hands of your playmakers, but don't necessarily feel like you have to be the one. Uh, you're not the Lamar Jackson of the team, you know. You don't have to, mm-hmm. you know, run the balls over 20 carries and, and throw for 200 yards as well. So that aside, Marshall takes care of business, and for Rice, another close loss. An addendum to that, you don't have to be that kind of quarterback unless you're Asher O'Hara, which is kind of the situation for middle at this point. <laughs> Correct. Correct. In this <laughs> you have to be that. You're right. Exactly. Uh, you mentioned Mason Fine. Really, really good day for him. Uh, latest chapter in his historic North Texas career as they beat UTEP 52-26. to uh, Fine gets seven touchdowns in a game, which I believe is a program record. Um, so we saw the UNT win coming here, but uh, UTEP snuck a few highlights in there too, including a 100-yard kickoff return for a score by Deron Lowe and a three scores by Trevon Hughes. So, you know, I think for UTEP, they're definitely showing some steady improvement, but uh, they ran into uh, Mason Fine on a day where he just could not be stopped. Yeah, it's interesting you make the point about UTEP, right? You kind of wish, if you're Dana Dimmel, that you had one more year of Trevon Hughes to kind of pair him back with a returning Quadras Wadley, to pair him with a Deion Hankins, and see maybe, all right, can we build some depth? You know, that's kind of the thing with these teams are rebuilding. It's not that they don't have, you know, 11 guys on offense, 11 guys on defense who probably are FBS starters, 
but you don't have enough depth, and that's going to be the issue for UTEP. But on the UNT side of things, Mason Fine, like you said, seven touchdowns. Uh, I'm going to kind of skip some of the game recap here. Joe, please tell me. Uh, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot here. Did you see him answer questions in the postgame in a dinosaur costume? <laughs> Which – who did that? Mason Fine. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, did, no right. I, I, didn't, I didn't watch any of the postgame stuff, really, from any game this week. But that's, that's great. That's great. That's a good way to celebrate Halloween. All right. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm going to have to send you that link so you can see it. Uh, it was funny. You kind of just, you know, the uh, other two uh, mean green players were there at the press conference. And then you see this giant person in a, or, or a giant dinosaur costume come in. You're like, who is that? And then, like, he starts talking and it's like, oh, it's Mason. He, starts, he literally took the, the entire press conference in a dinosaur costume. So that was awesome. Uh, I guess quick on the field stuff for UNT, you know, good win for them. Trey Siggers, you know, they uh, were able to get him going as well. And the defense, uh, they were able to rebound from kind of some of their poor performances as well. But, you know, it's the Mason Fine show and love the fact that he's having fun. Despite the fact that it's a disappointing season, obviously, at four and five, you know, he's not taking things too much to heart and, and had was able to have that kind of fun in the postgame. Yeah, for future reference to our audience, if there's ever a future intersection of COSA football and dinosaurs, you tag me in that. As long as we're clear on that moving forward, because uh, I don't want to miss that again. Um, speaking of dinosaurs, dragons are kind of like dinosaurs, and uh, UAB uh, played like they were extinct against uh, Tennessee, unfortunately. 30-7 to was the final there. I hate that I was right about this one. Uh, Tyler Johnson got picked off three times, which speaks to that boomer bust kind of style that we've talked about with him before. Um, U- UAB really didn't score until the fourth quarter. Uh, Dylan Hopkins threw a touchdown pass to Lucius Stanley, so we saw him get a little bit of time. Um, but obviously a disappointing day for uh, Bill Clark's squad. Yeah, I'm definitely eating some crow here. You know, as someone who uh, was defiant when you chose Tennessee. I was uh, rather defiant and flippant in choosing UAB, and I am eating my words a week later. Um, Bill Clark's Bill Clark's club. You can't really compete when you're going to go into. Yes, it's four and five Tennessee. Yes, it's not Tennessee from 1998 with Peyton Manning, but it is still Neyland Stadium, and you know might not have 100,000 people in there, but they got 70,000 people. It's a tough environment in general to go in there and play, and, and when you commit three turnovers, especially uh, from the, the quarterback position, you're not going to give your, your team the best chance to win. So uh, not too much to add outside of that. You know, UAB still 6-2, and two, so it doesn't do any real damage to their CUSA hopes, and, you know, they came out relatively unscathed. But I, I guess part of me should just, you know, be humble and eat crow, but I feel like if you play this game again and, you know, you don't have those turnovers – UAB can go in there and get the win. But as we saw, that wasn't the case. So credits to volunteers. <laughs> Eric, you're an online sports personality. I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to admit you were wrong. That's how that's the unwritten bylaws of sports media is never admit you were wrong. Exactly. What am I doing? You know, wrong. What? <laughs> I don't know what's this wrong you speak of. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so frustrating result for all CUSA fans, really, when uh, they lose to a P5 team in that fashion. Um, Continuing on the P5 talk, earlier in the season, I think you and I, Eric, were both in pretty strong agreement that uh, North Texas's Seth Luttrell was probably the strongest candidate uh, to land a P5 job. And now with, uh, you know, kind of seeing some P5 programs, um, particularly one in Tallahassee, uh, start to move on from their coaches and kind of make those decisions in the uh, latter part of the year here. Uh, do you still feel that way, or is there another CUSA coach that uh, might be a front runner for a P5 job coming up here? 
Yeah, I mean, I still feel this way. And you know me, I, we have talked about it on the podcast. I've written about it. Lane Kiffin, obviously, is the hot name. You mentioned Tallahassee, the obvious link. You know, why not go up to Tallahassee? Um, I'm going to address this really quickly. Not that I think Lane is leaving. I'm just going to, you know, just for point of reference. The major thing that Lane Kiffin, from my time around him, which is not like I really know the man, but, you know, just my time of observing him at media days and people who are around the program at FAU, is that he really values that sense of anonymity. It's the same thing that Scott Frost valued when he was at UCF, being able to, you know, go 11-0, and 12-0, and and then go to Wawa up the street on University Boulevard, and nobody knows who he is. Um, <laughs> in Tallahassee, while Tallahassee is a small town, you are the head coach of the Florida State Seminoles, and uh, you don't get that. Uh, you know, maybe if you're at FAMU, you might get that anonymity, um, and, and then, you know, that's no discussion about depending on what side of Tallahassee you're on, but I digress. You don't get that anonymity if you're in Tallahassee. So I don't believe that Lane Kiffin is leaving. When you look at the rest of the conference, the name that I would look at and – I guess you can say he's been there, done that, is Skip Holtz. You know, we saw Skip Holtz. I should say I saw Skip Holtz, uh, his tenure here in Tampa, Florida, with the University of South Florida. That did not go all too well. However, um, maybe it kind of feels like Skip's learned his lesson, and I don't mean that in a negative way. He seems to be very content at Louisiana Tech. But at the same point in time, you have to wonder, you know, 7-1, and if you're able to win the conference, I don't want to say what's left for him at Louisiana Tech, but – I think the Skip Holtz is young enough. I believe he's in his mid-50s. I, I might even be a little high on that to where he could give it another run at a P5 job. Outside of that, I don't really see any other coaches. I mean, you look at Doc Holliday. You know, Doc Holliday is successful at Marshall, but, you know, he's a West Virginia guy. Um, obviously, Butch Davis is on his last stop. You know, or we assume is his last stop. So I don't really see any other of the um, head coaches. I guess you could look at Jay Hobson as well. He's younger. Um, and I hit the nail on the head. Uh, Skip Holt is 55 years old exactly. So, you know, he's young enough to where he could give a little more run. But outside of that, I just don't see another another head coach outside of Steph Luttrell where uh, it would make sense. Right. I think I'm kind of in the same boat where I think Seth Luttrell will be the next CUSA head coach to – get a P5 job. Uh, However, I think the coach who would have the most success at the P5 level would be Bill Clark. I don't think he'll go uh, anytime soon just because I feel like he thinks there's some unfinished business at UAB and, you know, he's seen that program through thick and thin at this point. Uh, But I think just with a, like the kind of system that he runs and, you know, we've talked about reasons why like Lane Kiffin probably wouldn't go back to a P five job. Um, I think, you know, he hasn't done it yet. And I think there's definitely a team that would want to give him a chance, but I think it would have to be the right opportunity because the, you know, there was last year or two years ago, there was talk about him getting scooped up by Auburn. And I don't think he would go to a team uh, go to one of the P five teams in Alabama, which I mean, I guess it would have to be Auburn because Saban's not going anywhere, but I digress. I think Bill Clark would have the most success should he choose to move on to a P5 job in, in the future. Yeah, I'm just looking at you know Bill Clark. Uh, both Bill Clark and Jay Hobson are 51 years old, so clearly they're young enough to where they could make the move. And you know, just for the record on Lane Kiffin, it's not that, and I'm sure you know Joe probably feels the same way. It's not that we don't think at some point in time Lane Kiffin won't move on. You know, I, I, I think we both you know are realists in that regard. However, just don't be so quick as to think that the first opportunity that Lane gets, he's going to go ha- you know, head out the door because of the things that I mentioned. There's just a certain level of 
anonymity and being able to do his own thing. And he's 44 years old. You know, he just turned 44 in, right, over the summer. So it's not like he's, you know, long in the tooth. And he has plenty of times where if he wants to take out of three, four years of Florida Atlantic and see this thing through and then go, uh, why not? So, um, yeah, I think that's just kind of the state of where CUSA coaches are in terms of heading to P5 uh, opportunities. Yeah, and the other thing about Kiffin is, you know, not two hours after Willie Tagger got fired, he explicitly was on his Twitter saying, I do not want to go to Florida State. So, I mean, if a P5 job opens up, someone's going to point him out, and he's kind of set the standard of, like, he'll let you know if he has any interest in pursuing that or not. You know what I mean? So I think uh, as those jobs start to open up, we'll we'll definitely uh, get that feedback from from Kiffin. Which is, which is fun. Honestly, I have no problem with it as a fan, anyway. But um, I think that's a good enough time talking about that. Let's move on to some picks for next week. Um, to start it all off, we have Arkansas hosting Western Kentucky at noon Eastern on the SEC Network. Uh, Razorbacks favored by one and a half going into that. I think this is super interesting for a couple of reasons. A, obviously, Ty Story's return to his home state and his former program. So this game, obviously, is going to mean a lot to him. Uh, and B, Arkansas is not good. And as much as you know, I can look at the way Western Kentucky's played recently and say that there's holes in their game, uh, Arkansas, I think, has a lot more. Um, so honestly, I'm going to pick Western if they play their absolute A game because Arkansas is is – really not a good team right now you ready for it joe you ready for me to double down again on my uh sec bias of course <laughs> western kentucky rolls here all right i've got the tops um look man arkansas is not good uh neither is tennessee but we saw what happened there if you are Ty story uh you know gotta be in control of your emotions obviously like you mentioned heading back to his home state and his former program don't try to do too much i feel like tyson helton will not ask of him to do, not ask him to do too much. Play the same formula that's won for you all year. Steady dose of Gage Walker. Ty Story makes the plays when they're there. And guys like D'Angelo Malone and Juwan Jones and Devin Keystep have make plays. So I have Western Kentucky. In agreement on that one then. Uh, talking about Old Dominion and UTSA, 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN3. Old Dominion favored by four as of this recording. Uh, I got to go with UTSA, though, because you know we, we talked about Old Dominion's defense being pretty solid so far, but that offense is just it's, – I mean, it's a battle of two really bad offenses. But UTSA's boom – has been more impressive to me than Old Dominion's boom, if that makes any sense. And I feel like Old Dominion is going to turn in another bus day against uh, this Roadrunner team that really needs a win as uh, the pressure keeps mounting for old Frank Wilson. No, absolutely. I mean, you talk about two coaches who, you know, it's not that we like to speculate about job status, but it, it is what it is. You know, are we looking at the penultimate home game in the career of Bobby Wilder at Old Dominion? Time will tell. I will say this. If he is going to get a win, I do think this is one that there's enough talent on Old Dominion side to get things done. And quite frankly, passing-wise, Hayden Wolf looked better than you know uh, Stone Smart and Messiah DeWeaver have in many weeks. So take that for what it is. 
at the end of the day, I just think that UTSA is just a little bit further ahead talent-wise, um, although they have their own offensive struggles. I think going up, going up against a guy like Cassius Grady, who's one of the better cornerbacks in, in, in a Conference USA, will make a difference, and I've got UTSA winning this one. Should be an intriguing game for them. Uh, then we have UTEP hosting Charlotte. Uh, that one you can catch on ESPN Plus at 3 p.m. Eastern. 49ers favored by 12 and a half going into that one at the Sun Bowl. Uh, I feel like Charlotte are a pretty easy pick here. Uh, we talked about Chris Reynolds and what he's meant to that offense. Uh, Victor Tucker obviously been really solid as well. And then you have the uh, defense who I believe can uh, keep UTEP pretty much in check here. Yeah, we're in agreement, Joe. I think that Charlotte will get one win closer to qualifying for their first ever bowl, or at least being in contention for a bowl game. You know, the thing with Charlotte is I just like the mojo that they have. You know, you talked about it, I believe it was last podcast, maybe the week before, that Will Healy seemed like he was a little bit down on himself. You know, maybe for thinking that he could just kind of infuse some energy into the program and things would manifest itself and, and, and work themselves out. But you just got to stick the course. You know, there's some talent there on that Charlotte team, and it's showing. So I don't see any reason why they can't go into the Sun Bowl and get the W with or without Benny LeMay. I believe he is questionable from what I saw from David Scott's report, but uh, I have the 49ers getting the W. It should be a good game again. And then we have Southern Miss hosting UAB at 3.30 Eastern on the NFL Network. Uh, Golden Eagles favored by four and a half going into that game. I got to go with Southern Miss. I think uh, when Jack Abraham is on, he's fantastic. Even better when Kez Watkins is on as well. Um, UAB just starting to show some inconsistencies in their game, which hopefully they uh, they can get dialed in a little bit for their sake. But um you know, we mentioned who's better at their high point earlier, and really, I feel like Southern Miss is uh, is better at their high point. But you know, it's just going to be a matter of who's more off their game. And lately, I think uh, the momentum has kind of shifted away from Bill Clark's team. We are in complete agreement there. I think it's going to come down to who can play a more consistent ball game. We know what UAB is going to do, but for Southern Miss, and I think we both would be in agreement here with this. If Southern Miss starts, if Southern Miss starts to put up points quickly, UAB's offense just isn't equipped to really match them, especially if you're going to ask Tyler Johnson, who we know he can be very much a boomer bust, but when he's having to throw the ball, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 times, uh, or throw the ball in, in excess, I think is a better way to say that, you know, and they're kind of getting away from Bill Clark's philosophy, which is using the run to set up the pass, that's when he is most prone to turnovers. So I do think that Southern Miss, that combination of Quez Watkins, Jalen Adams, and Jack Abraham gets a W at home. And with that, we'll move on to Louisiana Tech hosting North Texas at 4 p.m. Uh, Texters favored by five and a half going into that one. Um, it, you can't bet against the Texters at this point because of the momentum that they have. Winners of six straight games. Only loss was to a, uh, a pretty darn good Texas team back in week one. Uh, but I mean, they've shown that they're the team to beat in this league right now. And I think they'll, they'll get through an inconsistent North Texas team. Wouldn't agree with you more there. I think the major thing for North Texas is we know that if they play their best ball game, they easily have a chance to win. I don't think any of us are in, in you know, disagreement there. However, North Texas defense has just been an issue all season long. I don't see any reason that says to me, the same thing that says to me that, Hey, Jamar Smith will be slowed by them, and we got to give Jamar Smith credit. He's a guy who I've been a little hard on, but he's shown, he's shown consistency over the past four or five weeks, and we got that rushing attack going. 
you know, they have Adrian Hardy as well. So I just don't see any reason that New York Texas is going to be able to slow them. Maybe Mason Fine getting a shootout and throw nine touchdowns. I wouldn't put him past him. I'd love to see him come out in another dinosaur costume if he does. But I've got Tech going in this one. You can catch that one on Stadium's Facebook page. And I can't stress this enough. Tag me in anything dinosaur and CUSA related moving forward. With that, we'll wrap up the show then with FAU hosting FIU at 6 p.m. Eastern. Good old Shula Bowl. Uh, FAU favored by 10.5 in this one. Um, I really don't want to bet against Chris Robison here. Um, you know, I, I feel like I made that mistake last week, but you know, he's kind of shown that he, he and this entire offense really, uh, are capable of scoring in a variety of ways. And FIU obviously have had the uh, consistency issues for the bulk of this year. So, uh, I feel like just the smart money is on the owls with this game. Yeah, here's the matchup you really want to watch if you're, you know, uh, betting on this game or doing just taking in as a casual conference USA fan. It's really going to be FIU's offensive line versus the front seven of FAU. Glenn Spencer runs a 3-4 defense. Uh, at times, you will see some exotic blitzes from him. One of the things that you really have to like about that defense. Uh, Achilles Kiki Leroy had a hell of a game last week against Western, two sacks, you know, 11 tackles. FIU's offensive line is really banged up. They were down to uh, get this, Joe. They had to move Shaquille Williams, who's naturally their starting right guard, over to right tackle. And Bush Davis said in post game that Shaq hadn't spent an entire snap, whether practice or game, at right tackle. So when uh, when you're doing that, that kind of shows that you are uh, in trouble. And a true freshman, Sione Finau, uh, who's performed well on the offensive line, but he's still a true freshman. He doesn't see a lot of snaps, I think, more than they really anticipated. So that's really going to make the difference. For FIU, if they can protect James Morgan, they'll have a shot. Um, if they can't, then, you know, you really got to expect this one could get away from the old Panthers a little bit early. Uh, I am taking FAU here. You can catch that one on Stadium, uh, by the way. And with that, I think that's going to do it for another episode of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to this show every week. It really means a lot to us. Um, if you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and uh, check us out on Spotify as well. And then come back to underdogdynasty.com to check episodes out as well. I believe we just have the whole playlist of, uh, of all the episodes at the bottom there uh, if you want to go back and listen to some of those. Um, but you can also follow at underdog dynasty on Twitter, like I'm on Facebook, and then you can follow us individually on Twitter at J O E H I O underscore for when you find more pictures of dinosaurs and, um, at Eric C Henry, of course, uh, Eric C Henry underscore rather almost messed up your Twitter handle. We've only been doing like a hundred of these anyway. Sorry. Sorry, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good, buddy. We're, we're, we're pretty far in, but you know, Hey, uh, everyone has a moment. Yeah, um, I think I uh, think I need a Tito's and, and vodka or Tito's. Good lord, Tito's <laughs> and vodka. Anyway, yeah, I need I need two different vodkas because that's the kind of day I'm having trying to wrap up this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Happy football anyway. watching, everybody.